Yeah, you're one of our regular students for Self-Improvement Wednesday. Each week you get to learn something new. Your lesson this week, the journey of a water molecule through a tree. Your teacher is Dr. Sebastian Fouch. He's Associate Professor in Urban Studies at Western Sydney University. And he joins us on Self-Improvement. Sebastian, good afternoon. Hello. Good the, to be back. The, uh, the, water, the, the amount of water that pumps through an average tree is remarkable, isn't it? It's hard to believe, yes, because we don't really see it. But the pure quantity, tell us about the quantities, for instance, for the, for the uh, giant Sakawa trees in California. The, the giants um, can get up to 3,500 to 4,000 litres a day. So that's, that's a staggering volume when you think there are thousands of these trees right next to each other, just the amount of water vapor they're producing. But the, you can go to our tall forests in southeastern Victoria and also Tasmania where you find really big trees and they are water pumpers. Um, they can easily get to six to 800 liters a day. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of water that's moving through them. The trees make our oxygen. Uh, but they also make clouds, they make rain, they make the climate. They do. They make our life possible. We should not forget that. <laughs> now, let's talk about how trees came to be, because evolution really started as this way of, of, of the, the trees started trying to get to light so they could use light as their building block, right? That's right. That's the, the energy, basically, they're utilising to create carbon and then build wood and all the other things that they need out of it. And they do that from light during the process of photosynthesis and to outcompete all the other plants that were going through the evolutional times um, to actually achieve that. Um, they needed to become elongated to outcompete um, all, the, all the guys uh, around them. So think about you start as a tiny little moss and then over time, you become a giant tree that's more than 100 metres tall. That is that kind of evolutionary process competing for light. Their aim is to stretch upwards, but in order to stretch upwards, their stems need to become woody to support that height. That's right. And there were two basic avenues in evolution where one type of tree, which today is known as the gymnosperm trees, those with needles or needle-like leaves, I should say, the gymnosperm trees only produced one type of um, cell structure that was both uh, the support, the architectural support that you just mentioned, and the other part was the water transport. And these cells are called tracheids. And the tracheids basically make up the stems of these conifers today as we know them. The second line uh, came later, is basically an advantage over the design that the gymnosperms went with, is the angiosperm trees, those that have broad-leafed um, um, foliage. And these trees have two types or even more than two types of cell structures that make up their stems that are differentiating between those four mechanical support and those for water transport. And because the water transport part is basically freed from the burden of also being the supporting structure, it works a little bit different and, and probably more effective. Mm. So let's describe this, uh, how this water transport system works. Because I'm, I'm imagining in my head, you know, there's a, a, a hose in the middle of the tree. I'm sure that's not quite right. So how does the water go from the soil, this damp soil, to this dry air? Through the, uh, through the trunk of the tree? 
through the stem. So the, what is really clever in the end is that trees put themselves like a straw um, between the wet soil and the dry atmosphere. That that difference, we talk of the water vapor pressure difference between those two entities, soil and atmosphere, because of systems always try to equilibrate themselves uh, regardless of what it is in, in terms of energy or molecules or um, anything that you have as a state within two systems. In our case for soil and atmosphere, we're looking at water vapor. Normally soil is wet, atmosphere is dry. That means diffusion from the soil goes towards the atmosphere. And that creates an, a gradient of vapor pressure that the trees now can use to just plug themselves into that um, transfer of moisture and allow basically the atmosphere to do all the work for the trees. So when you think of having your own blood pumped around in your body, you need the heart muscle to make the blood go around. The tree doesn't have a heart, but it still has veins and even arteri arteries where water is transported, but it's completely passive. The atmosphere is doing the job by sucking the water through the tree from the soil into the atmosphere. Mm. So it's a, it's a bit of a physical phenomenon that is happening there. Okay, because dry likes to suck wet, doesn't it? That's the way lots of things work in nature. Can we, can we take a molecule, a single molecule in the soil and trace its progress up that tree and out the leaves and into the clouds? Like Almost a more sophisticated version of what we used to do in primary school. Okay, I'll throw a few of those um, uh, scientific terms in there to make it more interesting. So First of all, you would start uh, somewhere in the soil. Normally, we see moisture in the soil as a film covering soil particles, and in between there's airspace. And along comes a root which has this suction generated, basically like a vacuum cleaner, in it because it is connected all the way into the atmosphere through the piping system within the tree. And so that suction that is um, applied to the water film starts to make the water molecules move into hair roots and then um, more advanced roots, woody roots into the central cylinder. You would pass either through what is called the apoplast or the symplast of the roots, um, where you have either a passage between the cells of the roots or you're actually going from cell to cell to cell to cell. At a certain point, once you've passed all those kind of barriers, you will come to what is called the Casparian strip. And the Casparian strip is like a big filter. Um, I describe it sometimes as it's a border control point. So if you are an unwanted nutrient <laughs> or if you are a pathogen, then you probably have no choice to pass that Casparian strip because after you passed it, you're basically in. You're in on your elevator journey from the root all the way through the stem, through the branches, the twigs, the twiglets, and into the petiole of a leaf, and then in the leaf through the various main veins, first order vein, second order vein, third order vein, into what is called the substomatal cavity, where you start to be exposed to air again. All, all the transport pathway in between has no air, ideally, um, but once you get to the substomatal cavity in the leaf, you sit again in a water film on a, on a plant cell, on a leaf cell, um, where you probably start to vaporize from the liquid water into vapor because of the 
vapor pressure gradient that you're now exposed mm -hmm. to in that in that airspace in the leaf. Okay, and so then that, from there, so out that, you go. Yeah, that's the exit gate, right? That's it. The stomata, um, a, a structure made out mainly of two cells that are called guard cells, which can depending on how pressurized they are, they can open and close, not completely close, but pretty much close, um, either saving water or releasing water. That is a um, partially active, partially passive uh, regulated process. For example, when it's really dry and hot, we get into, let's say, January and we have a heat wave, many, many trees would just shut these stomates very, very tightly closed so they don't lose more water than they absolutely must, therefore preserving water and remaining active when it's um, less of a, of a stressful mm -hmm. situation, when it had rained again and so on, to start transpiring normal again. So, and and this, they're such a complex process, aren't they? Clever. But this exit gate is also where the, the, uh, the carbon dioxide enters the leaf, Right. That's right. And it's always a trade-off and evolution has really not solved that very efficiently. Uh, that trade-off means once you're open, you lose a lot of water while at the same time you're trying to gain carbon as your food. Call it the plant food or the tree food. So while you're getting uh, very high rates of water loss, up to 200 to 500 molecules of water is lost for gaining a single molecule of carbon dioxide that is then metabolized through photosynthesis to become your building block. So and, it's a, and which it's is, again, which brings us back to global warming, of course, which is why the trees are doing us such a favor in stripping that carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and using it as their own building block. Correct. And storing it. And then if you think long term, and this is where we get into carbon sequestration and the carbon cycle, um, you're seeing, for example, when we use newspaper that has wood embedded in it, it's a very short term kind of life cycle of that carbon that the tree wants accumulated. But if you start building a wooden house or if you use wood in a ship, then this is probably a much longer sequestration of that carbon mm -hmm. that once was entering the stomates where the water was lost. Sebastian, we left our molecule standing at the exit gate, slowly being vaporised as our molecule floated into the air. What happens then? Oh, um, depends on wind and relative humidity and the vapour pressure uh, in the atmosphere. Lots of lots of different processes happen, basically taking those water molecules higher up in the atmosphere, where through temperature gradients um, and also so-called nuclei or seeds for raindrops, you start to see water droplets forming from all those individual molecules around a seed or a nuclei. And then once you get more and more of these, you start to see a cloud. And once the conditions are right and basically the cloud is ripe, then the water droplets become so big that they will fall back to earth as raindrops. And that's where your little molecule that we started at the beginning would go back into the soil, would soak up into the soil, would sit in the water film on that soil particle again, waiting for the next tree root to come along and take it up. The cycle of, of water through the tree. And here's, I think, the most exciting thing I've read all day from your notes. The transport of this water through the trees creates a pulse similar to that of a heartbeat in humans. That's right. And we can measure that. It's very slow. It's probably one beat per day. And the beat only means that the stem is contracting. 
and the stem is expanding. But if I compress that, let's say over a month, and I'll make it, you know, a faster rotation of um, the contraction and expansion, then you see basically a line like what we see on a cardiogram, where you see expansion and contraction of the tree stem as a pulse. And we can measure that and therefore uh, determine some physiological and also hydrological um, phenomena within the tree itself, its growth rates and so on. We're studying these pulses. I've always thought trees were beautiful, Sebastian, but I think they're a little bit more beautiful having heard you talk about the science of how they work. Hey, Sebastian, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. There's uh, Dr. Sebastian Fouch. He's Associate Professor in Urban Studies at Western Sydney University. His lesson, The Journey of a Water Molecule Through a Tree. You can listen back, of course, online, as you can always do, abc.net.au slash self-improvement Wednesday. You can subscribe to the free Self-Improvement Wednesday podcast as well. In, uh, in three weeks' time, a lesson from Dr. Anne Rogerson, the Charles Tesserero Lecturer in Latin at the University of Sydney. That's our next Self-Improvement Wednesday here on Drive. <laughs>